Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Dotson. Joining me again today, uh, another of uh, your hosts, and, and obviously your favorite host, uh, if you're a longtime listener of this show, Joel Luckup. How you doing today, Joel? And if you're a longtime listener of this show, it's been a long time since I've been on. So it, you could be a longtime listener of this show. I've never have heard me on here. It has not, been it has been way too long. Yes. It, it's been too long, but it's not been that long. But uh, we like to talk to you as often as we can, obviously. Um, and we like to talk about the Reds. And, and some weeks that's fun. Some weeks it's not so much fun. This team is uh, as much of a roller coaster ride as I've seen out of a Reds team in a while. At this time, they're sixty and fifty-eight. At the time we're recording this, which is Monday, late Monday evening, uh, five games back of first place, which is, you know, uh, that's not bad. Uh, it could be better, but they're above 500, and uh, they do have three teams ahead of them, but uh, still technically, uh, well, not even just technically, still in this race. We've still got some time left in this season. And uh, since the All-Star break, they started out just miserably. Obviously lost their first, what, I think seven games after the All-Star break, nine of their first ten. But all of a sudden, they're one, two, three, four, five, one, five of their last, uh, five, six, seven of their last ten, and uh, and playing uh, much better on the whole. What a bizarre season this has been. I, you know, I'm not one of these emotional fans. I used to be, and I've become much more uh, sort of even keel about the Reds because, uh, you know, I realize they're never as good as they look on their best day, and never as bad as they look on their worst day. But I've been on the verge of giving up on this team or going all in three or four different times this year. How crazy am I, I guess, is the, the question I would ask you to lead off this uh, show. Well, it sounds like you fit right in with this team. Um, yes. You know, you know there's days where it feels like they can beat anybody, and then there are days, uh, and those days when they feel like they can beat anybody is usually Johnny Cueto on the mound. <laughs> yes. Um, and then yes. there are days when uh, you can't imagine this team, is how they're not in last place. Uh, and, and it really comes down to, I mean, it comes down to two guys. And those two guys are Joey Votto and Brandon Phillips. Absolutely. There's there's much more consistency in this offense when those two guys are healthy and in the lineup than it is when they're not in the lineup. Uh, and, and part of that is because it's a terrible bench. We knew it was a terrible bench when we came into the season. We knew that, w- that was going to be the case. Uh, what we didn't know was how important that ben- the bench was going to end up being for this team. And the bench has been ridiculously important. And they you know the way the nature of the players they have on the bench are you're going to have some uh, decent streaks where you have guys who are getting hits and then you're going to have streaks where nobody's getting on base and they look awful um, and really that comes down to the guys that can hit in the lineup so if you're getting good performances from Todd Frazier and Devin Mazzarocco and Jay Bruce in the lineup right now uh, then you're gonna you're gonna see some success because you'll you'll have up and downs from the rest of the guys. You'll have hot streaks like Christopher Negron had versus uh, Cleveland, and then you'll have cold streaks like Christopher Negron had against Miami. You know that's what happens. Christopher Negron, yeah, I saw Negron play in Double A. This gosh, it's, it has to have been. I haven't looked to see when it was. It seems like it was five years ago, and I thought, well, this guy, you know, he seemed like a good character. He was dancing around on the sidelines uh, before the game. Uh, but never thought he would contribute to a Reds team that's above 500 this uh, this far into August. You know, you look at a team that has guys playing significant innings like Brian Pena, um, Skip Schumacher, Ramon Santiago, Christopher Negron. You know, and, and now that he's back from uh, injuries, only played six games. But you got Jack Hanahan thrown into that mix. These are not exactly 
the uh, you know all stars, uh, you know Hall Hall of Fame uh, players. These are guys that you never would expect would uh, would be in the mix on a team, and they're playing a lot of. I keep wanting to say I'm playing a lot of minutes. I'm still in college basketball mode, <laughs> um, but they're playing a lot of minutes, and mm-hmm. uh, and not performing particularly well. Although I'm not one bit displeased with Brian Pena's performance this year, but the the rest of them have really uh, well, Negron obviously in just limited time has been up and down, but oh, on the whole, not bad. And I just I, I'm amazed that this team is can even hang in there. Uh, which is pretty much what they're doing. They're not lighting the world on fire, but they're they're hanging in there. And, and to be able to do it with that, those guys playing so many innings, getting so many at bats, it's it almost defies description for me. I, I I'm not smart enough to understand how it's working. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, you, you kind of know going into a season, some guys are going to play above their heads, and some guys are going to play below the level where you where you expect them to be. And then you may get a couple guys in there that are right where you expect them to be. But the team is going to be quite a mix and you don't know how that mix is going to fall out and you know i mean brian Pena's numbers aren't incredible but you know he's got a 98 ops plus so he's you know he's been about an average hitter and some he's had a lot more power than i think you would have expected uh uh, although he's pretty similar to what he put up last year his on-base percentage is slightly higher than what you would expect uh, his batting average is slightly higher than what you would expect. Um, but he's out, of, been, out of a backup catcher and a, what you would say a backup first baseman, you'll take right. that though, right? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the issue with Brian Pena is not Brian Pena. The issue with Brian Pena is yes. that he needs to play so much. Yes. If if he was strictly a bench guy, outstanding. This is exactly what you want from a bench guy. He comes in. He's confident when he's pinch hitting. He can fill in for you when you need to, you know, he's filling in at first, he's backing up a catcher, and he's doing a, a mighty fine job. And I'm, I'm not trying to take a single thing away from Brian Pena. He's had, he's had as good of a season as I would have hoped from him. Um, and he's really been a great contributor to the team. And you know, to be honest, the same thing can be said of Ramon Santiago, who I had no, I, no sure. idea why he was going, he was being brought onto the roster. Um, but he has certainly filled that role much better than any of the previous Cesar Isturis and Wilson Valdez and Edgar Renteria, those guys that had filled that role. Oh, my Ramon head hurts. Santi- Ramon Santiago has filled that role yeah. much better than any of those guys have. Um, you know, his numbers still not outstanding, although a 331 on base percentage is certainly, uh, you know, certainly doable and, and, uh, the, you know, I'll be happy with that. I'm always happy with guys who get on base, even if they don't do other stuff. Um, I'm, I'm yes. fine with that because at least they're not going out there and making outs a lot. Right, yeah. But, and, and you're right. The issue is not that Ramon Santiago has been bad or that Brian Pena has been bad. Neither of, of them have been terrible. If, if what you're looking for is what we thought we had out of those guys, a backup catcher, and, you know, the 24th guy on the roster maybe with Santiago, um, you'd take that. The problem is they've just been pressed into service. And uh, I look at this lineup, and, and you see that these guys are having to play and you look at the the everyday eight, and you know there are two guys right now that are that are not injured that are in the lineup that are above average offensively that mm-hmm. I can tell. Obviously, and Mezzarocco, who's been and continues to be just unbelievable, leading the majors in home runs for catchers, uh, OPS of 945, OPS plus 161. Obviously, some injury problems, but he's over 300 plate appearances now. This guy can can hit, and of course Todd Frazier, who has had his ups and downs recently as well, but still. 
has been uh, uh, sort of the mainstay of the Reds' offense. But you look everywhere else in the lineup, and it's maybe not ugly. Some of these guys are just slightly below average. As, uh, Bruce's numbers are coming up. Ludwig's about where we would expect, just below average. Uh, Hamilton's had, had a rough streak lately. But still, I mean, I know the answer is in the end going to be, well, the starting rotation. But it just amazes me that the Reds can even uh, can even hang in there. Looking at who they've had to – they've been forced to contribute – the guys that have been forced to contribute on offense, I don't know how they're doing it. Uh, well, and they're doing it by being streaky. It's, I mean, that's the honest truth about it. They're, that's how they're they're getting away with it. Um, they are, uh, they are. I mean, we saw it coming out of the All Star break. They were terrible. I mean, they they look like they they were a Double A team trying to play against Major League pitching. Is what they look like, and it was rather pathetic and. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, over the next week we see the exact same type of performance there. But, you know, it, it's a team that's capable of treading water, like you said, because of the starting pitching, because of the back of the bullpen, which has been very, very good, um, and uh, because occasionally they're going to have some streaky offensive uh, stuff. Now, the question is, what happens when Brandon Phillips comes back which uh, rumor is August 24th, around then, I guess. I don't know. That's what I saw John Faye say the other day. And then uh, if if Joey Votto ever comes back, um, you know, if he comes back in September and they're, you know, two or three games out of a playoff spot, they might have a chance to make up those two or three games. I mean, it's going to be tough. The hard part for them is that they've got – there's a lot of teams in front of them. You know they're the they have the seventh best record in the National League right now, which means that there are four teams vying for the wild card in front of them, as well as the those teams' respective division leaders uh, who could also fall back into the wild card race if you know they get leapfrogged. So it's not an easy thing to jump over four teams, even if you're only two games behind those four teams. You still have to play, you know two games better than those teams than all of them to get in. So it's not, you know, uh, you see a lot of quotes, you know, they're only two and a half out of the wild card. Well, they're all, first of all, they're only two and a half out of the second wild card. Uh, But, you know, it's not an easy, an easy thing. That being said, it's a possible thing. It's possible. I I have a hard time believing they're going to be able to do it without, uh, without getting both Votto and Phillips back at some point, though. Yeah, it's just that's almost beyond the uh, uh, what we could hope for. Uh, but but the fact that's even possible, as you say, at this point in the season, given all the problems, uh, again, that really sort of astounds me. And and part of that's maybe that uh, I don't know if it's a media the league is mediocre. Uh, that there's no real superstar team in the National League, but um, it is what it is. Now let me ask you uh, your thoughts on. Something that I wrote last week over at uh, for Cincinnati Magazine, and and You're some right. of the, well, occasionally, not as often as I'd like, and oh, not, okay. and and not very well, as you well <laughs> as you well know. Oh, please! But, uh, um, I, I wrote a piece that, and, and mostly I was it was an exercise in me trying to talk myself into it because I've been pretty critical. I was I was really happy with the the hiring of Brian Price as manager of this club, uh, and it was really hopeful. And I think you and I talked about it early in the year. There were some disappointments, and I've been I've been really disappointed in a lot of things that we've seen out of Price, the way he's used his bullpen, and um, among other things. But I tried to make the case that 
the fact that this team is even still close to this, you got to give some of the credit to to Brian Price as manager for keeping this team sort of hanging in there. You know, the Reds have had six former All Stars on their roster that have been on the disabled list at some point in this season. Six former All Stars, and that's a lot. Seems like to me it's a lot. Uh, Votto and Phillips we've talked about. Jay Bruce has been on the disabled list. Jonathan Broxton, Araldis Chapman, and of course Devin Mezzarocco is an All Star this year, but he's been on the disabled list as well. And that doesn't even count long-term injuries to guys like Matt Latos, who is, uh, we, we all know what we think about Matt Latos. He's outstanding. And uh, Opinions divided on Sean Marshall, but there was a time when Marshall was one of the best relief pitchers in the National League, and, of course, I'm not sure he'll ever be healthy again. So uh, he's dealt with that. He's dealt with uh, injuries to Tony Singrani, for example, who we thought was going to play a significant role this season. And and somehow, while using Negron and Santiago and Hanahan and Shoemaker and uh, somehow, you know, losing nine of the first ten games after the break, they're still hanging in there. And uh, I don't want to go overboard and say that uh, Brian Price is uh, manager of the year. But on the other hand, you know, doesn't he deserve some of the credit, I guess? Yeah, I think he's done very well um, with stuff. I, you know, I we're always going to second-guess things that managers do. Uh, it's just the nature of being a fan, and the manager is the decision-maker at end game stuff and he's done some things wrong there and you know some of the the bullpen stuff can look baffling at times but the part of the hard part with the bullpen is you you never know the state you know how healthy somebody is um you never know uh how they feel that day even if they hadn't pitched for a couple days uh or you know even if they pitched well the day before and that was the first day you know you never know. The guy may have, you know, strained something, or so. It, that's the hard part of being a fan and then trying to judge how a guy manages a bullpen. Uh, that being said, I, I there are some times when I'm like, you know, I'm not real sure I understand his logic. Uh, I've stopped trying to figure out any logic with the lineup because, you know, for his to his credit, he's at least keeping uh, uh, Mezzarocco, Frazier, and Bruce mostly grouped together. Um, you know, it took them a long time to to move them up further in the lineup, it seemed like, but at the very least, he was keeping them all kind of grouped together. And, you know, logic would say that's that's your best chance right now is just keeping those guys around each other because they're your, uh, well, historically, they're your best on-base uh, guys and your best power guys. Right. So, so you want them kind of all together because that's where your runs are going to come from on a day-in and day-out basis. Um, I mean, he hasn't had an easy job. Uh, he, I'm sure he would uh, say that he's learned quite a bit this year about trying to manage in the big leagues. And uh, and that, you know, most managers don't start in the big leagues losing their, their arguably their two MVP players and their, their two best players. Uh, you know, we all have debates on where Phillips ranks in there, but, um, you know. And, th- and throw Latos in there, too, right, from the yeah, beginning. Yeah, well, I mean, and I was going to say, and then also, uh, he, I mean, he got kind of lucky with Simon, uh, or, or or it was a master stroke. Either way, uh, nobody could have predicted that Simon, uh, nobody on the Reds even would have predicted that Simon would have an all-star quality first half. Um, so he did get kind of lucky there. Uh, y- you know, it's... Uh, Brian, like we talked about, Brian Payne has probably been a little better than expected. Um, you know, probably uh, 
probably never would have expected Devin Mezzarocco. I mean, I certainly didn't expect this quality. I thought he was going to be better than he had been in the past years, but I never would have expected this quality. Um, you know, so he has, he's had some good fortune. You know, we, we talk a lot about how things have gone bad. There has been some good fortune in there for him as well, uh, as you would expect with any team. Um, so I, I think he's done, long story short, sometimes I get rambling here. So I like uh, it. Uh, long story short, I think he has done a, a fine job with trying to manage the day-to-day lineup, which hasn't been easy. Um, you know, the only the only position that I look at, and I I kind of wonder, try to figure out what his logic is, is left field. Um, otherwise, I see he's just trying to manage, you know, first base as best he can. He's trying to manage second base as best he can without having guys get overexposed too much and um you know start to start to crumble under the excess of playing time. Uh it'll be interesting to see how Brian Peña handles the last couple months of the season because he hasn't uh he's never had this many plate appearances in a season. So uh I'm interested to see, you know, if he's able to if he's able to mix him in properly and use him well. Um I'm interested to see how he continues to manage second base once teams figure out how to pitch to Christopher Negron. Uh, and that's going to happen. Uh, one thing I noticed about uh, – sorry, I'm just rambling. Here. Keep rambling. Uh, that's what everybody wants to hear. <laughs> I've noticed is uh, Christopher Negron hits everything to the right side. Um, and, in fact, I think he only has two hits that are left of of – second base two two base hits that are left of second base actually one of them was a home run but if you go and look all of his hits are to the right side uh teams are going to start figuring that out they're going to start noticing that kind of stuff and then they're going to start pitching him differently if he's probably not going to adjust immediately whether or not he'll be even able to adjust at all i mean the guy hit 244 in the minors it's not like we're talking about some large you know some big time prospect um, and it's not exactly like he's, you know, he, he's played better than expected, but, you know, he's also still hitting 241 with a 281 on base percentage. His power is a little spiked by the fact that, you know, he's hit three home runs and two doubles in a small sample. Um, so it's not, uh, where was I going? Oh, so anyway, he's, he's used Negron at second base this week. Uh, because Negron was hitting well, well that that's going to change. He's not going to hit well, and we saw him, you know, start to falter a little bit in uh, against Miami. Uh, what moves he makes now to adjust for that? Where does he start using Santiago a little more at second base? Does he start using Schumacher there? Uh, he's got to play with these parts. And as I say the names, as the names roll off my tongue, I, I kind of throw up a little bit, you know. <laughs> I believe uh, you. Yeah. I understand. Schumacher, you know, uh, kind of thing. So it, uh, he doesn't have that many great pieces to work with. And I still feel like the fact that they're two games over now, again, it's due in large part because of excellent starting pitching. But, you know, they've done just enough to survive. Um, and, I, and I think he gets, a you know, an attaboy at least for that. Well, you talk about the guys that he's forced to mix in and, and how he, how it will be interesting to see how he mixes and matches these guys the rest of the way, but the fact that the, these names that we're talking about him mixing and matching, I don't envy him having to figure that out because uh, none of them really seem like particularly good options. But to go back to what you said, uh, coming into the season, it looked like he'd landed in a pretty good spot for his first managerial position, a team with uh, you know some 
some talent who had some playoff expectations, but then that got turned on its ear almost immediately. I mean, we talk about Phillips and Votto missing significant time, but you know, right off the bat, two of his three best pitchers missed the first two months of the season in uh, Latos and Chapman, and uh, or most of the first two months. And so he had to deal with that. He's had to deal with these long-term injuries. So it turned from what could have been a, a really a good job if everybody had stayed healthy. Uh, you know. We'd be having a whole different conversation right now. I don't know if they'd be any better in the in the in the standings. I have a feeling they would, but if they weren't any better in the standings, he'd have a lot more questions to answer. But the fact that he's had to face all this, had to use these spare parts that really aren't particularly talented, and somehow mix and match to get there, that's why I think the guy deserves some amount of credit. He has had more roadblocks thrown in front of him than most first year managers would have in, in a situation like this, and. Uh, and, and again, I'm not, as I've said a hundred times, I, I, I thought I was going to be, but I'm not now a, a fully paid member of the Brian Price fan club. But he, the more the season goes on, the more I start to see his uh, his hand on uh, what's going on with his team. And I don't know. I mean, I, I was never ready to fire him anyway, but I'm certainly willing to, to give him a, a, a chance because he's he's not doing everything wrong, <laughs> I guess. Um uh, that's damning with faint praise, I suppose. But, uh, but anyway, I I think that he's had a tough job in some ways, and uh, and it's going to get only tougher as you as you noted if they don't get Votto, if they don't get Phillips back, and if Bruce doesn't. Uh, he's shown some signs maybe lately, but if Bruce doesn't start hitting like Jay Bruce on a consistent basis, um, it, I don't know how. I don't know how there's any way that anyone. You know, I'm a I'm a Joe Madden fan. There's lots of I don't like Earl Weaver back in the day. You name your great managers that you like it through history. Sparky. I don't know if there's any way anybody could could mix and match the the spare parts that he's trying to mix and match in significant places like uh, first base and second base, and be able to do much more than what they've done. So um, I'm with you. Our only hope is either Obi Wan Kenobi or that Votto and Phillips get back soon. Right. Well, I I think that. Um Given the structure of the roster as it's been for the last month, uh, two games over 500 is probably as good as you can expect. Especially given the fact that they weren't that. I mean, even when they had Vado, it wasn't the Vado that we're used to. You know, uh, like we talked about, Bruce hasn't had a particularly good year. Uh, I mean, even I mean, even Phillips. Phillips's year, you know. I think they need him back. I think they they um I I don't know that he's that important of a hitter to the roster, but I do believe that they they need a bat I mean they could use a bat like his to just get some of the the lesser bats out of the lineup. Um but you know, he's not even had you know, he wasn't even having that great of a year. Um so it's it's not like those guys were were playing awesome even when they were you know even when the roster was complete so uh it it hasn't been an easy year for them uh the performance hasn't been there and the other thing the other thing that really strikes me about this team is they are not um they're not making a lot of transactions for a team that hasn't been very healthy uh you know you're not seeing a a lot coming up from the miners and um, and I think part of that is because there isn't a lot of belief in what they have in the minors. Yeah, there's nobody down there. 
Right. The thing that, I mean, what really shocked me, and, and I was kind of out of the loop for a while after spring, or after uh, the All-Star break, I, I was on vacation, and I, you know, I paid attention to the scores and stuff, but I never really watched who was pitching and all that, and or who was playing. And so I came back and started, you know, looking at it, and I noticed Manny Parra has barely pitched over the last month and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because he hasn't been healthy. He's had a bad back. And they never made a transaction for that. And to me, that says right there, um, you know, they're willing to basically waste that roster spot uh, because they don't have anybody that they think is worthy of of replacing him. Uh, And that's – to me, that's the amazing thing about what Brian Price has done, that they don't have – you know, that his general manager has not provided for him – uh, beyond what that um, what that primary roster was, and uh, and yet somehow he has still managed to make it work a bit. Um, you know, I thought they were an 87 win team as constructed, and that was before I knew they were going to lose significant time from uh, from Joe, you know, with Joey and with Brandon, and get a you know an absolutely an unacceptable season from Jay Bruce uh, if you're losing time from your your other two all-stars. So, uh, you know, for him, for them to be where they are, which, you know, I'm not happy with where they are, but for him, for them to be where they are uh, is a lot better than I would have ever expected from this roster, given the situation that they've been in. No question. No question about it. And uh, to speak about the Parra situation there, briefly the Reds carried 13 pitchers. And so, the fact that they were, they you know, had Contreras up, and the fact that they were wouldn't put him on the disabled list tells me at, at least as much about what they see out of their uh, position players in the minors. They couldn't bring up anybody for the bench because there's no one down there to bring up, much less uh, in terms of pitchers. So it's a, it, you know, I know no one's happy with being two games over 500 after what we've seen out of this team the last few years, and, and we've gotten to the point where we expect uh, to be competing for the playoffs. And I'm not going to say I'm happy with it. But I'm really not upset. Uh, right. Not that, not that, that well, I get upset about baseball anyway, but it's supposed to be fun. But I, I can't find any reason to be upset with where they are. I think they're doing just about as well as they could have given all the roadblocks that's been tossed in the way of this team this year. I think I think fans, I'm not going to say you should be ecstatic about it, but uh, there's no reason for disappointment. Uh, you know, Be disappointed, I guess, that people have gotten hurt, but what are you going to do about that? I. You know, I may be disappointed at the end of the season if, um, you know, if it ends, if the season ends like, uh, you know, like 2006. Remember that season where they were, they were kind of, I mean, they were never a good team in 2006, but they were always in the hunt because the rest of the division was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the year that the Cardinals uh, won 83 games and then went on to win the World yep. Series because they worship Satan, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> no um, question. No question. Yeah, that was the year that disastrous last, end of the season there. The yeah, where that last month where the, everybody played awful. Now that would be that would be a disappointing end for me, um, but I've also kind of accepted the fact that I don't expect them to go to the playoffs this year. Uh, um, they teased me a little bit with that Cleveland series and kind of started getting my hopes up a little bit, uh, but then you know watching them for a couple days play against the Marlins, uh, even though they they looked great yesterday um, on Sunday. Uh, with Devin Mesoraco hitting bombs and Johnny Cueto doing what Johnny Cueto does, um, 
I, I, I don't, I, it doesn't feel like a playoff team to me, uh, even really honest, if I'm being honest, even when Joey and, and Brandon come back. Now, um, they could surprise me. I'm not, I'm not eliminating that aspect of it, but I don't have this expectation of playoffs anymore, I guess is what I'm saying. But I would still feel disappointed if they completely fizzled at the end. Um, you know, if they finished, if they finished the season, Seven, eight, nine games out of the out of the wild card. Um, that would be a disappointing season to me. However, you know, if going into the last week of the season, there we're still talking scenarios where they could end up in the playoffs. Eh, I don't know that I'd be disappointed with that. No, that could be fun. That could be yeah. Fun. Um, let's talk about some individuals. We've talked about a few of them, but uh, you know, we've talked about the team mostly. And there are a couple guys that I'd like to talk about, and the first of those, I think, is probably the first guy anybody would want to talk well, other than Cueto, maybe, but Devin Miserocco. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we did touch on him, but I, you know, the more I look at what he's done this year and how he continues to do it, he did have a little bit of a slump there, but uh, came out big, knocked in, uh, had six RBIs, two home runs, six RBIs Sunday uh, in that win over uh, over Miami. And you know he's, he's hitting 293, 366 on base percentage, 580 slugging. Uh, his uh, weighted runs created plus 161. I mean, you know, when you look at all, and, and Nick Kirby over at Red Lake Nation had a really good post about Ms. Rocco and, and his numbers. You look at all players with uh, more than 300 plate appearances, and, and Ms. Rocco's uh, weighted runs created number is seventh best in all of baseball, not just among catchers. Now, obviously, he's first in, uh, among catchers. He's... Uh, First among catchers in home runs, slugging percentage, weighted on base average, OPS, uh, second in RBIs, third in batting average, third in on base percentage, uh, and, and third in in WAR by Fangraphs WAR. Um, even with the, the the time he's missed in terms of playing time, you know I expected Mesoraco to be good this year. I expected him to be an offensive upgrade over what we'd seen. I thought he was going to take a step forward. If I told you I thought we were going to see this, if anybody tells you they thought they were going to see this. They're lying, and, and and I guess my question for you, and you can uh, answer this however you like, is are you as amazed as I am that he's really not, you know, he's fallen off maybe a little bit from his highs early in the year, but he's really continued to be a very productive hitter. Yeah, well, I mean, his highs at the beginning of the year were historic. Yeah, unsustainable, uh, you know, but. Yeah, uh, so I don't feel bad about that, but, you know, I mean, even since I, I just did a selective endpoint here, so but even since uh, June fifteenth, two ninety three, three eighty seven on base percentage, five eighty seven slugging percentage. That's great. I mean, you know that's forty some games, uh, forty three games for him there. So I mean it's not, it's not just like he's not living off of that hot streak that he had early on the season. He's really he slumped there for a bit, but then he's kind of reemerged and and he's. It's been a sustained goodness. He's he's one of those guys that when he comes up in a situation, you expect good things. Um, you know, I kind of uh, every once in a while I get it, and it's it's not often, but every once in a while when I'm working at the park, I get a gut feeling that somebody's going to hit a home run in a specific at bat. And you know, we joke about it. I only mention it when I really have this gut feeling, and I'm and I. Like a a pretty good ratio. Like I'm talking like seven out of every eight I'm right on. But I only wow. like. But again, I only do this like two, three, maybe four times a season. Like I don't. 
I don't mention it. Um, like it's not like every week I'm like, oh, this guy's gonna hit a home run. Or this guy, you know, it's very rare. But I have one when he hit that grand slam yesterday. Like I had that vision, and so, but it, it like it didn't. It doesn't. Like I don't have. It's not like when Ramon Santiago comes up, I'm like, oh man, this guy, he's he's gonna <laughs> hit a home run. Um, it's guys that I I usually only have that gut instinct on guys that are that I feel like have those moments in them. And, and, uh, Mesoraco just seems like one of those guys that he has those moments in him where, you know, he is going to, he's going to come through when you need him to. And you, I mean, I, you look at his, like, uh, his numbers with the bases loaded this year. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's, he's, uh, I mean, it's, you know, everybody hits a lot better with the bases loaded, right. but you know, he's six for seven with three home runs, 17 <laughs> RBI. Amazing. He's, he's batting eight. I mean, it's only seven plate appearances. So still. Yeah, he's batting 857 with the bases loaded this year. Is that good? Uh, that would be a good OPS. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, not average. <laughs> His slugging is 2.143. His OPS is 3,000. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's only seven. I mean, it's only, yeah. That's a video, small sample, but it's fun. Video game it's, numbers, I love it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it's. That's what the thing about Mesoraco is. He's fun to watch. He's fun to watch hit because, you know, he he reminds me a little bit of Mike Piazza when he swings. You know, oh, Mike Piazza. Had, Mike Piazza had that swing. I mean, the shape of their swings look a lot alike. They kind of, mm-hmm. you know, he ends up upright. You know, uh, where he looks like he's going to break the bat over his shoulder. Um, but you know, he. He, you know, <clears throat> when Mike Piazza would swing, he would look like he's trying to abuse the ball, and that's kind of how Mesoraco is. And he hits the ball hard. He's fun to watch. Oh, so he, it's not just the numbers. He's fun. Exactly. Hey, what more can you ask for? Uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Uh, three Reds catchers in history have had more home runs in a season than Mesoraco's 20 this year. Uh huh. Do you know? Can you name those three? Yes. Well, let's hear it. Are you, are you, <laughs> oh, you didn't ask. You, all you asked me if I could name them. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Johnny Bench, obviously, and he did it, you know, ten times, I think, uh, more um, than twenty. Uh, Eddie Tobinsey. Eddie Tobinsey, twenty-one home runs in nineteen ninety-nine. And I, I'm assuming you're talking just as a catcher. Yes. Because because David Ross, obviously, he hit twenty-one home runs once, but two yes. of them were as a pinch hitter. Um, well, I, I don't know why I would ask uh, Mr. Stat guy <laughs> like this. I should have known you'd be all over this one. Well, actually, I, I'm I'm debating on who the third is. I'm not. I knew the other two because, well, I mean, Bench is the obvious one, and I knew, uh, I knew the other one obviously because, um, well, that's the most recent one. The he's the most recent. Uh, Tobinsey was the most recent catcher. Yes. To, to hit. Uh, God, I'm trying to. I wouldn't have gotten this last one. I, it would have taken me a couple of guesses. He probably would have been my second guess. Or... Yeah, it, it. See, I think the 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 mind says, "Oh, it's got to be Ernie Lombardi." But that's who Ernie I would have guessed. It, it's, it's not, not Ernie Lombardi. He wasn't a home run hitter. Um, and I'm trying to think if, uh, you know, if Walker Cooper ever hit that many. I don't think he did. Did he? He did not. Okay. Um. Oh, a, man. Scoreboard stumper. Uh, I, I'm gonna have to give up. Is uh, it um, Johnny Edwards? It is not. It is uh, not. Ed Bailey. Not Ed Bailey. That yep. would have been my next guess. I, I as I kept going back and back and kept. <laughs> right. See, I, I always remember. Oh, go ahead. He hit 28, 1956. Okay. I always remember Walker Cooper because he's the 
the only red ever to drive in 10 runs in a game. Exactly. So that's why I thought maybe it was him. Then I, but I knew it wasn't Lombardi. So credit for that, I guess. (laughs) I would, I would have missed that one. So you were, you were a step ahead of me. I think I might have guessed Bailey my second guess, but, uh, I didn't ask myself before I actually looked it up. So the Reds didn't really have a, a home run hitter. I don't think during that, those, those 1940s championship teams. I don't, I, I don't think they really did, now that I think about it. Because even Frank McCormick, who was the big RBI guy, wasn't really a home run hitter. Yeah. Bench, 11 times Bench had 22 homers or more. Uh, you know, I don't know if you'd realize this, and you may want to go back and look at your stats to confirm my opinion here, but Johnny Bench was a good baseball player. Mm, I guess. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing. You, you could look it up. Um so anyway, back to the point. Mesoraco, uh, he's only got a little over 300 plate appearances now, so we're not. It's not historically good yet, but man, uh, if you got to complain about what Mesoraco has provided, I want. Uh, I don't want a little of what you're smoking because Mesoraco has <laughs> been fantastic. Uh, the other guy who's really just been uh, astounding this year, and we've mentioned him several times, and we mentioned him, I think, in glowing terms every time we talk, because I'm just uh, continually blown away in by what Johnny Cueto has brought to this team. And not only that, but you know, over the last few years, again, if you're a long-time listener to the podcast and, and if you've read uh, at Red Leg Nation, I had sort of an uh, irrational uh, love for Bronson Arroyo just because I loved watching that guy pitch. You know, He just sort of had the goofy, uh, the big leg kick, and he could make the ball do crazy things and uh, changing his speeds. Cueto's kind of the same way. He's got that sort of weird delivery, and, and you just watch uh, – how he baffles major league hitters sometimes. And of course, he's 14 and six now, leads the tie for the league lead and wins. If you're into that sort of thing, uh, 2.05 ERA. I mean, just and then all his peripheral statistics. He's uh, top five in the National League, certainly top three in in most categories or many of them. What a brilliant season this guy's had, and and he's taken the mantle from Arroyo in my opinion of a guy that I just when he pitches, that's must watch, uh, must see TV as they say. Uh, they should have put him on in front of Seinfeld. Back in the day, All right, do you enjoy Cueto as much as I do, or am I just over the top here? No, I, I don't really like Cueto. <laughs> you're, he, you're more he, of an Alfredo he, Simon guy, right? He kicked that guy that one time, so he's a thug. Ah, uh, he's he's true. got funky hair, so he's a thug. Too much you know, hair. Why, why doesn't he get a haircut? I know, yeah, uh, hippie. <laughs> um, no, the the thing that I like about Cueto, and I, I think we talked about this. We may have talked about this. I heard the quote about, um, you know that. Uh, Cueto learned a lot from watching Mike Leak pitch. And so the special thing about Cueto is he's Mike Leak with stuff. And that's really yeah. what it is. I mean, he, he pitches like a very intelligent, um, uh, you know, pitcher in the, in the, uh, you know, in the, you know, God, I can't even think of words right now. Words are hard. <laughs> words. Uh, uh, in the form of an Arroyo or a Leak, but he also has that ability when he really needs to to pump it up to 96 and blow it right by you, uh, and that's you know that's something special. That's that's a rare quality to have, and um, you know he's he's gone to another level this year, and I think it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's so much fun to watch, and uh, and again, you're right beyond just the sort of goofy. Uh, delivery and uh, the fact that he can't hit his spots is he's got he's got he's got talent. Not that Leak doesn't have talent. Um, Leak's got a ton of talent, but just in he terms, does, yeah, Leak's arm isn't nearly as live as uh, as Cueto's. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, and so the fact that he is able to do that, I mean, he's he's the ace of his staff, and um, and that's not really I'm not breaking new ground with that uh, with that statement. But uh, strikeout percentage, twenty five point eight percent, best uh, best rate of his career, strikeout rate. Um, hitters are hitting one eighty two, two forty seven, two ninety against him. Um, I'm just looking. Uh, walk rates second lowest of his career. I mean, he's a guy. He's a guy at the top of his game, and uh, it's it's. I I have a. I would say that he is having the best pitching season by a Reds pitcher since Rio in '93. I mean, I I think yeah. it's pretty easy to say that. I think I don't think it's even close actually. And, um, and and for people who don't know, I mean, Rio probably. I mean, he should have won the Cy Young Award that year. Uh, could have won the MVP that year. Um, you know, he was it was nine point three WAR, which is the third best pitching you know, pitching WAR in Reds history uh, for Rio in ninety three. I don't I don't think Joe Johnny's going to get up that high. He's only a five point one. He's got probably what like I don't know eight starts left. Yeah, something sure. that something um, around there. Um, so you know, Johnny's probably only going to be up in the sevens. I would guess he's not he's not going to get up to nine WAR. Um, but some of that is, you know, due to the environment that they're playing in. Um, you know, Rio has a, a little bit more of an advantage. Uh, he put, he's, you know, I don't think Johnny's going to get up to 250 innings either. Maybe right. he will. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, my point being that I, I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, that this is uh, a once in a generation type pitcher that the Reds are seeing in their in their rotation. Maybe not once in a generation for baseball, but for the Reds rotation, you know, he belongs in the Rio Soto, uh, Gary Nolan, Jim Maloney, those that kind of class of pitcher um, in terms of dominance. Uh, it's not something that happens a lot in Cincinnati. It's not, and and let's not uh, you know use as a criticism for Cueto that he's no he's not Clayton Kershaw because you know. No one is. Cueto's not the best pitcher in the National League. But in terms of what we've seen out of Reds pitchers in in our lifetimes, uh, obviously people I don't think people really realize how good Jose Rio was. Um, and and at the time I really didn't realize how good he was. Uh, he didn't win enough games, I guess. Um, That's true. You know, uh, in my in my opinion, back in those days. But 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 Cueto's every bit as as effective. And uh, and the last time some a Reds pitcher had an ERA, Cueto's ERA is two point zero five. Um, the last time a Reds pitcher had an ERA that low for a full season and, and, and pitched enough to qualify for the ERA title, uh, was a guy you just mentioned, uh, Gary Nolan, uh, as a 24-year-old in 1972. Before that, you got to go back to 1923. The immortal Dolph, Dolph Luke. 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 I, I don't know how you pronounce it, but uh, it's Luke. I, I know he was good. Yep. And uh, but so you have to go back uh, to and, 1923 to get. And that it. Dolph Luke season of 1923 is the highest WAR season ever by a Reds pitcher, 10.6. That's not bad. Nope, that's getting it done. I wonder what he's doing these days. I bet he could still pitch out of the bullpen. Uh, uh, maybe not. I think he's been dead. For <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Well, then there's that. Uh, so you know, again. What I would counsel Reds fans is every time Cueto gets a chance to pitch, you need to watch this guy because he's just he's been magnificent. Now, the big question, and I don't envy uh, General Manager Walt Jockety having to make this decision, is what do you do with Cueto? I mean, you got him under contract one more year. They got an option, I think, a club option for next year, which will obviously be exercised. 
He's had some injury problems. Uh, this is outside my domain, the contract stuff, uh, so I'm not sure what to, what to say. I'd love to see Cueto be a red for the rest of his career. Um, what they do with Cueto over the long term, or if they maybe even try to trade him next year if they're not going to try to sign him, I think they've got some real tough decisions to be making regarding Johnny Cueto. And, and like I said, I don't envy Jockety making that decision because I, I wouldn't want to be the guy in, in the position to have to make that decision. Yeah, and I've said that, you know, I don't, Right now, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if they signed Latos and Cueto both, because I never thought that they would sign Votto or Phillips or Homer. Uh, Homer. So, um, you know, uh, the money. You know, the money doesn't make sense anymore. <laughs> true. Uh, true. Um, and and I, I'm not going to worry about that too much. My concern, though, you know, I feel like. Uh, I, I'm not opposed to the deal Homer got. I think it's two years too long. I think a six-year deal for for Cueto is two years too long, at least. I think a six-year deal for Latos is probably two years too long. And you know, if you had all three of them, um, you're setting yourself up for misery at some point. And um, you have and good I, anchors for your rotation for the next three years. After that, you're, you'll you know, some of those guys anch- stay healthy. You'll have good anchors for pulling your team down. At, after, exactly. At, yes. You know, and and I don't know if it's worth it or not. I that's the that's the thing I'm not sure of. I'm not sure if having those guys um, for the next you know for the next three years is worth having. Uh, basic, you know, worth the pain that that comes the three years after that. Because personally, I feel like a six-year deal for a pitcher is like a 10-year deal for a player. Oh, yes. Um, There's a lot of pain built into that contract. Uh, And I, you know, you know I love Joey Votto, but that's just the fact of the matter. And, and, you know, God forbid, you know, um, those those six-year deals turn into uh, the scares that we have right now with Votto is, you know, with, well, you know, is he ever going to be the Votto? Is he ever going to be? Shut up. I Shut know. up. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I do, but um, I don't want to hear it said out loud. Please. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like you said, I don't envy those decisions because it's not, uh, it, it's not straight. There's nothing straightforward about it. You know, I see a lot of people say, uh, you see a lot of people say, well, I can't believe they gave money to Homer Bailey. Now they're going to, and how are they going to sign Cueto? Well, the problem is, is that say they didn't give that money to Homer Bailey and then they signed Cueto. I'd still be nervous. I mean, that Cueto contract is going to be big and long. It's going to be big money and it's going to be long um, because he's, he can get that on the free agent market. And then we'd all be saying, well, now we're saddled with the Johnny Cueto contract. I mean, I, I say the royal we, not no. you and I specifically. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, but, um, you know, it, it is a, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to make sense of what should be done. And, uh, uh, and I'm glad I kind of, you know, I think part of being a GM would be fun, but there are things about it that I wouldn't want to have to be the decision maker on. Sure, difficult call. The difference between Cueto and Bailey, I guess, is that uh, Cueto has more upside or more elite at his best. He's he's one of the elite pitchers right. in the league. Bailey is a solidly above average pitcher who can be very very good at his best. 
um, uh, you know, Latos may have some of that upside as well. He's only 26 right now. Um, but I, I guess the difference is with Cueto, if you're going to spend that money, maybe you're going to the it may not the contract may not end well as we don't expect as we said about Votto, his his contract may not end well. Uh, and Cueto's may not as well, but maybe you'll get some uh, some really superb seasons, presuming health, and you can never presume health with a pitcher, right. especially with what we've seen this year. But uh, I guess maybe that's the only argument there. But uh, but when you say they spent the money on Homer, they're not. You hear people say they're not going to have enough money to spend on Cueto now. Well, I don't know if that's true at all because I don't know how much money they've got, and and I'm like you, I don't understand the money. It's gotten crazy, mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, they've got more to spend than. Uh, than I imagined. I don't know what their budget is, and uh, whatever. I'm glad I'm not making those decisions. But the decision with Cueto and Latos in the, you know, in the wake of the Homer Bailey deal is going to be very interesting to watch. And, and you know what's really going to happen here? Alfredo Simon's going to get that six-year deal. That's silly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, the thing that scares me is Tim Lincecum. Justin Verlander. Yeah. You know, I mean, these guys were, you know, they were the elite pitchers, and it didn't, it, it went away fast. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, they they put up a couple, you know, mid-range years, and, you know, they had a little bit, I mean, like with hitters, with hitters, there's a curve. Right. And I, I'm just afraid, I'm afraid that pitchers don't have the curve, that they just have a cliff. Um, and... I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. I, I just don't. I love and I love watching Johnny Cueto pitch. And I would love to have great Johnny Cueto win a Cy Young Award here in Cincinnati, which I unfortunately don't believe is going to happen this year. No. Um uh and not unless Clayton Kershaw you know If he gets hurt tomorrow, maybe the window's open. Yeah, or or if he suddenly decides that uh, he likes the Justin Verlander lifestyle and starts <laughs> right. or whatever, um, you know. So, but I would love to see Johnny Cueto win a Cy Young Award in Cincinnati, um, and I'd love to see him win a World Championship, and I'd love to see uh, Homer Bailey and Matt Latos, and I mean, I'd love like I I enjoy watching these guys perform, um, but I I. Like if I remove that personal aspect of it, I just I'm not sure that it makes sense. That that would be my difficulty as GM is that I do have trouble, and I can see that I have trouble removing that emotional aspect from it because I do I love these guys, I love watching them pit play. Uh, they only because they put on the correct color uniform before the game, but still, um, you know uh, I don't want to see Cueto pitching for some other team. I don't want to see Latos pitching somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, can you imagine if like he pitched for? I don't know, San Diego? Oh, gosh, that yeah. so you weird. Ma- nah, well, that would never happen. Uh, <laughs> but think about Cueto putting on a Dodger uniform someday, you right. know, uh, something like that. But, you know, what's right for the team and what's right for my uh, emotional well-being uh, uh, may or may not be the same, uh, I guess. Well, if the, the, the thing is, is the guy that holds the purse, pr- purse strings has that same emotional attachment. And we've seen over the last, you know, how many years, uh, these last two or three uh, years, the contracts he's thrown out have been somewhat uh, what you would expect from a guy who's a big fan. Um, and in some ways, I love Bob Castellini for that because it's, he's really been committed to trying to bring a winner back to Cincinnati. But on the other hand, long term, you got to be concerned. I mean, maybe take that six-year deal and give it to Miserocco. What do you think? He better, uh, 
better candidate to be worth it over the course of a of six years? Um, I certainly would be working on some sort of a deal with him because if he comes out and does the same thing again next year, then you know you wasted an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, if he goes to arbitration, uh, uh, and I I was looking at his numbers, uh, his career numbers, he's not going to hit many of the marks that are going to cause a big, huge arbitration award. Yeah, but Uh, he does. He's not arb eligible next year, right? I think still got another year. He is after next year. I think I think it'd be after next year. I would think. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. So not not this off season, but after 2015. Yeah, I guess that's right. I guess that's right. So. Yeah. Um. But anyway, they need to be talk, talking with him. Um, uh, they, and, and, you know, really, at some point, they're going to get serious about giving Ryan Ludwig another two-year contract. Uh, Maybe. Well, you know, <laughs> the two-year contracts. The, the, the famous Cincinnati Reds two-year contracts. Anybody in particular you want to talk about as well before we, uh, before we sign off here? We Individually? No. No? I want them all to play well. Please. Please, Reds, play well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just scanning down here. This rotation's been amazing. Um, yeah, the bullpen's been All amazing. The, as you know, the the Jack Armstrong comparisons to Alfredo Simon have not cleared themselves away yet, though. Starting to look like it, huh? Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, well, we all expected it. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, hopefully we're wrong. Hopefully, uh, just just be average the rest of the year. I'll take that. Yeah. I don't, so. know, I don't know if that I'd bet the ranch on that happening, but I'd take it. Um, yeah, so, you know, hopefully they take two from Boston and then uh, they go to Colorado and uh, win all four there and then go to St. Louis and win all three there. And you know, they come back home on a, what, a 10-game win streak, yeah. right? Seems um, reasonable to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see why they could do that. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then they play Atlanta and... Uh, they'll probably win all four of those. Well, the way Atlanta's playing recently, yeah, I mean, yeah. Atlanta's tanking. And then it's the Cubs and the, you know three yeah. against the Cubs, so yeah, um, they'll probably win all of those too. Well, they should. And then they might lose against Pittsburgh, one of those three games. Yeah, but at that point they'll they'll be you know in first place and they can probably they can probably withstand losing one series. Yeah. So at the very least, what we're saying is that um, it's got to be at least a 17 game win streak. Yeah, at the very least, and I don't think that's too much to expect. No, no. Uh, all right. Well, uh, one last item before we go. You know, the uh, the English Premier League soccer season starts this weekend. Are you excited? There's a Reds team. <laughs> Isn't there? No, we're not cheering for Liverpool. Come on. I don't know. No, there there is a Reds team. There's Liverpool, and uh, they're just uh, evil. Uh, clearly, oh. we're all Tottenham Hotspur fans. Come on, Joel. You know this. The Hotspurs? Exactly. Something like that. that? What is a Hotspur? (laughs) It's a team that is sort of like the Reds, thinks that they're good, but usually finishes a couple spots out of the playoffs. Yeah, but like legitimately, what is a Hotspur? Uh, Harry Hotspur was a British war hero back in the, uh, I don't know, a long time ago. They're named after a person? Yes. Well, it's a person's nickname even. Uh, uh, Harry the Hotspur, I think, was his nickname. And... uh, so the, so then Hotspur has to be something, right? Because if that's how he got his nickname, right? He was. Uh, you know I, what? You know what? I'll right. probably be back in two weeks. I'll answer that question for you. I would like to have an answer for that <laughs> on that question the next time I am on the podcast. And none of our listeners want to hear any more of that conversation. Well, we'll put it at the end. They're there already done. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody's still listening at this point. That's a good point. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Joel? 
All right. Well, it's uh, been another fun uh, edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. Always enjoy talking to you. Hey, thanks to all you guys out there and gals for, for downloading. As I say every time, I don't know why you would uh, waste an hour of your time listening to us ramble about the Reds, but but we enjoy it. Hope you do, too. Uh, follow Joel on Twitter at jluckup, J-L-U-C-K-H-A-U-P-T. Follow me at Dotson C. Follow Red Leg Nation at Red Leg Nation. Go to RedLegNationRadio.com for every episode of the podcast. And you can also click the links there to subscribe via iTunes or uh, via whatever your favorite podcast catcher is. And and we'd ask you to go and give us a review at iTunes. Helps helps it pop up in search engines uh, or in the in iTunes searches if you just give us a, a good review and a rating. Uh, but as I try to say, if, if you like us, talk about us. Give us a review. If you don't like us, shut up. Um, if you don't like us, why are you even listening? I mean, it's not like you have to. <laughs> have you made it this far? I mean, really. Uh, so quit listening to us, and, and all of you that are still listening, go give us a good review. Joel, good talking to you again, buddy. Always. All right, for Joel, look up. This is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone.